Mike Pence promises to release his tax returns doesn't take the pressure off Donald Trump. Democrats shop a poll that shows Trump and Clinton in a tie in Indiana. Is it accurate? New polls in the race for Senate and the race for governor, two members of Congress back on the ballot, and a proposed tax break for public school parents. That plus a controversial billboard and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending August 19, 2016. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. This week, Donald Trump came to Indiana for an Evansville fundraiser that reportedly brought in $1.5 million. His running mate was there, too. And Mike Pence now says he will release his tax returns before Election Day. Donald Trump has yet to release his tax returns. Hillary Clinton has released her returns dating back to 1977. Her running mate, Tim Kaine, made 10 years' worth of his returns available last week. Is the Pence decision significant? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat Ann Delaney. Republican Mike McDaniel. John Schwannis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Schella. And Delaney, is there widespread interest in Mike Pence's tax returns? <laughs> Trick question. No. <laughs> All right. So he, he just in the last 24 hours, released a, a financial disclosure statement that showed that he doesn't have meaningful assets and doesn't have meaningful income beyond what he's earning as governor. Right. So, so we pretty much know the answer. Right. 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 I mean, the question, it doesn't take any, all it does, frankly, is focus more attention on the fact that Trump has refused to release his. And, you know, I frankly think he's not releasing it because he hasn't paid any taxes. And, you know, he can't d defend that when he, when he tells everybody he's a multi-billionaire and he pays nothing. I mean, we saw what happened to them in New Jersey in the casinos when they were forgiven forgiven $25 million of tax debt. I mean, it's ridiculous. He has scammed the entire system all his life. Well, what's the strategy here? Is this, is this meant to take the pressure off Trump? I don't think so. I think this was an easy decision. Uh, Mike Pence thinks it's the right thing to do, and he's doing it. Of course, Trump is saying, I'm not doing it because I'm being audited. Uh, all, both Trump and Pence have, as you said, filed their financial disclosure forms. Uh, which, by the way, Evan Biden done uh, so far. Uh, so you know, it's, it's, I don't think they America. Don't anything, I don't right? think America really pays much attention to this. <laughs> I really don't, and I and I think it's way overblown. Uh, that and and so for the, for Mike, it was an easy decision, and Trump was arguing that he's being audited. I'd be surprised if we ever see him. You won't I, see him. I, does America care? I think uh, America cares. Um, at some core level, I think they want to know what influences uh, there are maybe playing on their elected officials, whether that's uh, 
other sources of income. It, it helps, I think, shed light on people's uh, sentiments toward charity. Toward, it, it toward just, Russia. It, it puts the whole perspective. And it, I was curious, you know, the last time Trump, if ever, had to release his taxes, and it actually was. You mentioned uh, in New Jersey when with the gaming regulators there, and it showed a big zero. He paid nothing, nothing. because of the, nothing. the breaks that you mentioned. And so... And he comes out of the private sector, whereas Mike Pence comes out of the public sector. I think clearly there is an expectation and has been since the Nixon administration that, that presidential nominees um, would release them. So it, this is a departure, and it may have something to do with, again, coming out of the private sector and being a rather atypical uh, or, candidate. Or the fact that he hasn't paid any or, taxes. Or, bo- or both. Uh, somebody said that, that what Mike Pence's disclosure form shows is that if he doesn't get elected, he, he needs a job. Um, There's he, no sin in that. You know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, you really kind of have a contrast here. Uh, I think Mike Pence is making the right decision because more disclosure is, I think, better than less in all of these circumstances. Um, that he doesn't have a huge stash of, of income from somewhere else. Um, and that his main source of income is his job is in public service, I think that's fine. I don't have any problem with that, and I'm sure he'll be just fine getting a job uh, if he doesn't win the election. Uh, but I do think that, that it does reflect poorly on Donald Trump because it does kind of add some pressure. Your lieutenant or your vice presidential candidate uh, has done this. Why aren't you? And, Mike, I understand the, the, the audit argument, yeah. um, but there's nothing that says he can't disclose his own information um, even if he is being audited. So I think that it just raises more questions than, it, than not doing it. Uh, and that just does, I think that hurts Donald Trump and, in the yeah, long I, run. I think it hurts him too because, because the disclosure forms are fine, but they really don't show you anything. They show you, you wide have ranges. Wide ranges of tens of well, millions they show of you dollars. How much, what your net worth is. Well, yeah, within, within, within a framework yeah. of millions and millions of dollars. Right. It doesn't tell you where it comes from. And so they've all filed them. Why haven't Evan Bayh done it? Evan Bayh will file his. That's Evan not Bayh, an issue. Oh, I got wait an until extension to October 9th. got an extension until October 9th. It'll be filed. When is Mike Pence's taxes were if you're, if, if you're allowed to think that Donald Trump's not doing it, he says he's he, not because he's not paying any taxes. I'm allowed to think everybody's doing this because he didn't want us to see <laughs> but how there's much a money difference. He made there's a difference after he Mike. left Washington. There's a difference here, Mike, and that, and that is that yeah. we know at least in 1994 when he claimed to be a multimillionaire, he paid zero. Because zero. Of, because of what happened in New zero. Jersey. Zero. He in paid New Jersey. zero. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm not talking on. about yeah. for the casinos. I'm talking about yeah. personally. Two polls made public this week tell two very different stories about the race for president in Indiana. Donald Trump is the favorite here, both because this is a Republican state and because he won the Indiana primary easily. Hillary Clinton lost to Bernie Sanders in the May primary and has done little campaigning here. Yet a poll conducted for the John Gregg for Governor campaign shows the two tied at 44% in a survey that has a 4% margin of error. Democrats are distributing it widely. If our effort to get people out to vote this year continues, I think we'll do very well, and I think that means uh, that Secretary Clinton can, can win Indiana. Yet there's a new independent poll that shows Trump with a solid lead here. The Monmouth University poll pegs the race in Indiana at 47 for Trump, 36 for Clinton. In a year of surprises, a Clinton victory in Indiana would rank among the biggest. Mike McDaniel, is that Democratic poll a source of concern for Republicans? Look, every credible poll that's been out there in the last six months has had Trump, Pence, 
or Trump, at least, before he picked Pence, was anywhere between 8 and 12 points ahead in Indiana. And the Monmouth poll that was referred to here has him at 11, which is more consistent. And to say that that this is a tie in Indiana uh, with Pence on the ticket is laughable. I think their credibility is hurt by even talking about that. It's crazy. You know, it's just not the case. Well, the Democrats say that there's a problem with the Monmouth poll. Yeah, it's oversampled Republicans. It's it's plus 13 on the Republican side. And every every other poll, including (laughs) Republican polls like Susan Brooks, have it at 6 to 7% advantage for Republicans. So obviously they're they're doing this, um, and obviously they're going to talk about this. But the problem with that was when you place reliance on a statewide poll with only a 400 sample and a disproportionate Republican base there, when a legitimate poll comes out again, but we Momentum's going to be swinging the other way. Part of the problem here is we don't know how legitimate that great poll is because we don't get to it. see it. We don't, we don't know any of the <laughs> well, details. I've seen them. Oh, okay? yeah. And, and I'm telling you that work? nobody samples with 13%, which is what they're – all you have to do right. is look at their sample. And if they were as well, confident as they were, as they are, and, you wouldn't be seeing the attack ads you're seeing. In one recent statewide poll, more people in Indiana identified themselves as independents than Democrats which was the first time ever that's happened. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that the Monmouth poll is where it is. In fact, they're one of the most respected polling companies in America, been accurate all the way along. In fact, they lean Democrat. The first they lean Democrats. It is the first time they've done it in Indiana. And it is a small sample. What, what, What do you believe from this polling? Both uh, the, the combination. One's high and one's low. I, 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 I think, I don't mean that, uh, I mean, that's a statement of the obvious. I think they're both probably uh, off on the sampling. I think that the, the accurate numbers are probably somewhere in between. I do agree that, that Monmouth, at least uh, other places in the country, is extremely well regarded. If you look at Nate Silver's, uh, he's sort of the guru, used to be with the New York Times, and all the pollsters bowed out of him, and he sort of is the arbiter of who's good and who's bad. If you look at his site, uh, 538.com, he gives grades, and I think there are maybe only of dozens and dozens and dozens of polling firms that he assesses. Monmouth is one of only half a dozen A-pluses. Uh, and it, as Mike suggested, its track record is that it usually, when it skews one way and it's off the mark, it's point uh, six six tenths of a percent the Democratic to yeah, the well, Democratic we'll, favor. We'll, we'll see. So, I mean, it is a reputable yeah. poll, but I think they both have some sampling challenges in this uh, this particular go round. Well, I, one thing that the polling showed is that both Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have high unfavorables. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's not yeah. um, the it's news. Not news. But, but, <laughs> but the, the degree to which they have unfavorables is really very startling when you see it in, in those numbers and in those terms. Um, we don't like the people who are running for president um, in Indiana. That was very clear in this poll. Uh, I do think it's interesting, though, that, that the internal poll was released and in the, in the strategy around that. And, and uh, you know, John Zodi, I think, was very straightforward when he said it's all about the turnout, and this is an effort to help the turnout uh, process. So I'll look forward to the next Monmouth um, poll. I hope well, they do some more. Well, there's going to be uh, lots of polls. Sure, you're going to have and, one point and, and, and I look forward to, to seeing that yeah. and seeing what, what it goes from one point to the next. One thing that was kind of quirky in the Monmouth poll, and quirky, I don't know if that's the right word, but it showed that of Donald Trump's likely voters or supporters, 16% of those say they support Evan Bayh which is quite a departure. It doesn't go the other way if you have uh, 
Democrats than Those supporting. Those Democrats are going to vote for Trump. Right. Um, now, maybe it's because they don't want the taxes released. Maybe that's why Evan should go ahead and release them. I don't know. But it's does, the only, that's the only that, common theme I can find. It does show there's a propensity for ticket splitting. And with that, yeah. uh, the Monmouth University poll also measured the race for U.S. Senate and the race for governor. The poll shows Evan by with a smaller lead in the Senate race than we've seen in internal Democratic polling. He leads Republican Todd Young by 7, 48 to 41. And in the race for governor, Republican Eric Holcomb leads Democrat John Gregg in the Monmouth poll by just one, 42 to 41. John Katzenberger to the Senate race first. Republicans say that polls indicate that by support is slipping, is it? Well, we have a short sample, and of course, I think people overdid when he came into the race. They, you know, automatically installed him as the heavy favorite in, in many cases, and I think that's a, a case of expectation. I mean, he's been very successful in, in Indiana, and so to say that his support is slipping because it's at 48 percent, I don't think is really a fair or accurate uh, remark. But I do think it's worth pointing out that his favorable rating was, or that he is under 50 percent, mm-hmm. uh, and that that is unusual, um, and that is something that he is not used to. So we've talked before, um, you know, he's the older person in the race now. He's got a very aggressive opponent, um, and there's lots of money being employed against him. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how he reacts and this clash of campaigns, which I think is going to end up in a fairly close race. Yeah. Um, again, you've got a Democrat ahead in the Senate race, a Republican ahead in, in, in uh, the governor's race. So it's an argument for ticket splitting. And, well, Hoosiers famously are, are uh, champions of ticket splitting. I mean, I think back to the, the uh, 80s, which were probably the sort of the halcyon years for the Republican Party controlling virtually every seat in the office in the state house, but you'd almost always have some outlier, you know, Otis Cox mm-hmm. or somebody who would sneak in as auditor because Hoosiers apparently want, don't want to be pigeonholed or be taken for granted by either party, and I think they do. Uh, enjoy uh, enjoy splitting in that way. All right. We're still with the Senate race, um, the Young campaign is is uh, trying to make a big issue of Evan Bayes residency. And this week, uh, it was disclosed that Bayes voting status was moved from active to inactive uh, because he hasn't responded to postcards sent to his Indianapolis condo. Uh, how significant is that? Well, I mean, it's a it's a standard postcard every voter gets, and if you don't respond, and if the post office can't deliver it. Well, then they put you on the inactive list. And he's been on the inactive list before, and that doesn't mean you can't vote. You can go back and vote. But what's being pointed out more with more than that with the CNN story that was out there about the two houses in Washington and the one in Delaware and the one in Florida and the $53,000 condo in Indianapolis, which obviously he doesn't stay in or live in, because uh, when he comes to Indianapolis, he stays in a hotel instead of staying in his $53,000 condo. So, I mean, they're starting to strip the bark off uh, the phoniness that is, uh, you know, I never left Indiana. Nobody believes that. I mean, that's just laughable. And so that's starting to happen. And over the course of this campaign, that's going to make a difference because this is not other races like he's run before. He's been out of sight, out of mind for a good while. And now he's going to have to fight with somebody that's got the willingness to go after him. Yeah. And it's going to hurt him. It really is. And he's got somebody who's, who's absolutely uh, misrepresenting his record. For example, saying he's a lobbyist when he's never been a lobbyist. Okay? And saying that he's responsible for the gridlock when it was Todd Young who wanted to shut the government down, but can as they, I recall. Can they convince voters that, that no, he's I, I don't from think Washington, D.C.? I, I 
don't think they can. And by the way, he doesn't own all those houses at yeah. the same time, just for the record. Again, let's keep the facts right there. Well, and he does stay in that condo. And remember when we had, when you ran Dan Coates, who didn't even own property back here and hadn't been here in so many years and had been a lobbyist. Yeah, Dan Coates it's amazing here. how the arguments can change <laughs> yeah. depending on who it is on That's the true. ballot, isn't it? So the point is they've owned property here. They've owned it for a long time. When they did the Dan Coates story, the residents there had talked about seeing them there and yeah. seeing the boys at the pool. Nobody said that for Dan Coates. Light bill. And that a didn't put him... Light bill. That didn't stop you from Are putting gonna, him on the ballot, did it, Mikey? Heat or uh, or let's go. John Ketzenberger, <laughs> the, those numbers in the, the in the governor's race. Are you surprised to see Holcomb ahead? Um, yeah, yes. a little bit. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that calls a, is raises a red flag about the, the poll and its, and its uh, credibility. Um, I don't think it's one point ahead. I think uh, Holcomb is likely behind, but it is going to be, I mean, it's within the margin of error, right. and it's going to you know, be that way all along. Nobody suggested that either of those races wouldn't be close, and right. I, I never expected that Evan Bayh, although I think he's going to win, was going to win by 18 or 20 points, which is what the original thing showed, but they're both going to win. This is, is still going to be disturbing to John Gregg. If you've been running for six years, like he says he has, and you've got any poll out there that shows you're behind by a point at this point, uh, he's, me, first of all, he's not run a very good campaign. He's not run a very, very strong campaign. And it'll I catch disagree, up with him. Mike. And, and Holcomb hasn't even been on TV yet, which will start next week. And when he does, he'll be on the rest of the way. It, and if, oh, you're yeah. that, if it's that close now, it won't be it's a deal. Not John, that, keep it's in mind not that, that, that close. polling is a tough game these days for a number of reasons. Yes. You know, exodus if from landlines and the reluctance of people to do any polling. And I went back and looked at the major polls before the primary. Everybody uh, had... Uh, Hillary Clinton beating Bernie Sanders, for instance, uh, sure. by as much as 12 percentage points. And we yeah. know that's not Didn't how it turned happen. out. Yeah. And, you could, and that's not specific to Indiana. You can look at what happened in Michigan and other states. It's just tougher than it used to be right. to get a true snapshot of where the electorate is. And, and he still it's has still to deal, Holcomb out. still has to deal with the fact that he's Mike Pence and just taller. <laughs> and that's going to be a problem you know, for him. That's going to be your best play, and that ain't going to work. It's true. It's he endorsed RIFRA. He endorsed the work. abortion law. He is exactly ideologically... Mike You're going Pence. to lose again. Two Republican so. congressmen, Todd Rokita and Congresswoman Susan Brooks, have reclaimed spots on Indiana's November ballot. The Republican Party chose Rokita and Brooks to fill vacancies created by withdrawals last month. They had both dropped out to run for governor in hopes of replacing Mike Pence on the ballot. Rokita is running in the 4th District, and Congressman Brooks is running in the 5th. John Schwannis, will any of this hurt them at the polls in November. I think attempts will be made to inflict some damage, certainly by opponents saying that, oh, you didn't, he and she, depending on the race, didn't even want this seat. You know, they clearly was looking for something else. But when all is said and done, I wouldn't imagine that any, uh, uh, the fallout from this, this, uh, in that, you know, on again, off again approach will really have much sway in the end. Some Tea Party types suggested that there would be trouble for Susan Brooks getting back on the ballot because uh, they thought she was too moderate. It didn't happen. They were pretty wrong about that, weren't they? Yeah, they yeah, were. She's not moderate at all. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, appearance-wise, the other she thing is, is she's, yeah, she's not. She's not going to be challenged. Um, it was a calculated, um, well, okay, Ann. Angela Demery is running a good campaign. That, I'm not saying, but she's not going to win. Uh, that seat is so safe, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. That's what's the problem with gerrymandering, Angela Demery has $60,000 in her war chest for okay. the campaign in the, one of the most Republican districts in Indiana. That's what the problem with gerrymandering. She'll win with 67% again. 
Rakita won with 67% last time. He's run against the same guy this time. He'll win in a landslide. And he's a, a remarkably no, poor congressman. Remarkably poor congressman, which points out exactly what is wrong with the redistricting process. It's exactly what's wrong with the redistricting process. State School Superintendent Glenda Ritz has the has uh, the campaign promise of the week. The Democrat says she wants lawmakers to approve an annual thousand dollar tax break for families with students in public schools. Ritz says she wants the money to help cover textbook costs and other education-related expenses. Work begins on a new budget when the legislature returns in January. Mike McDaniel, will that win votes for Ritz? I'm sure that's what she's trying to do with it. Uh, practically, I would be stunned if that happened in the legislature, uh, if it ever got that far. Because, one, uh, you know, we have a situation where we spend $11,400 on every student in Indiana, which is one of the highest in the country. And then for those who are on reduced and free lunch programs, we put $35 million in the budget to cover books and other things now. So I'd find it very difficult to believe that in those circumstances where we're paying what we're paying per student and what we have in there for for people who need that kind of help, that they're going to go beyond that with a very expensive program. It's just not going to happen. Is this a practical proposal, or is this simply a way to point out that private school parents who get vouchers are, are getting a large portion you know, I, of state No, I think money? it's a practical proposal, and, and I've always thought it's disgraceful that as part, you know, our constitutional obligation to provide public education, we ask parents, we ask parents to spend hundreds of dollars a semester on books. Now, you know, maybe they're not going to do a thousand, but they need to do something on that because I think it's it puts a burden on on middle class families who don't qualify for the school lunch program that they have to outfit their kids and then they have to spend hundreds of dollars on books. Interesting to see a proposal like this this early in the campaign, isn't it? Uh, well, I mean, you strike while you can, and she's on the election circuit, and and you know she's going to win over approval from the legislature, which is likely to remain Republican, will remain Republican this this year. She has to make a case. Uh, I do think she's pointing out the whole voucher system. That is something that is very much. Um, in in her uh, in her craw, if you will, and, and a lot of the supporters of hers um, have problems with the voucher program, which is now very large um, as compared to when it was started five years ago. So I think she's got a two two way going here. She's able to point that out, and she's able to say, "Here's my way to address that, so we have some equity for people on the other side of the ledger." And certainly not a new position. If you look back, she had advocated in the past. Uh, rather than having a tax credit, simply an, an allocation to pay for this. Uh, so this is a, I mean, you get to the same, right. the same mission effectively is accomplished in the end, uh, but this is a new tack within that same framework. So it's not as if she's a Johnny or Jane come lately to, and to and the I mission. think it's important to understand that a lot of the growth in education funding has gone into that voucher system, right. which serves 7% and the 93% have been left behind. This is an attempt to help the 93%, which is what they ought to be doing. More money spent on education yeah. than ever before in the history of the state of Indiana. And the reason the program's growing is because it's very popular. And it's popular with parents who want to send their kids to the place they think they're going to get the best it's still education. 7% of the population getting right. all of the money. Not Time all now. the money, it's silly. All the growth in the money. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week, we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, 
Do public school parents deserve a tax break? Your choices are A, yes, B, no, or C, it should be based on need. Last week's question, which party will have a better record in Indiana at the end of 2016? 20% said the Republican Party, 76% said the Democratic Party, 4% said the Libertarians. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. Finally, an Indiana restaurant chain is removing billboards that reference the proposed border wall between the U.S. and Mexico promised by Donald Trump. The signs proclaim that 20 Hacienda restaurants have the best Mexican food this side of the wall. Hacienda Executive Vice President Jeff Leslie says he didn't expect the backlash that came from the Hispanic community. The executive director of a community center in South Bend says the billboards are offensive because wall has taken on a political connotation. 26 billboards are coming down. And Delaney, what would Donald Trump say? Oh, he'd be all for it. I mean, he's the one who says when he eats taco salad, he eats Mexican food. You know... (laughs) Whoever designed that is tone deaf, absolutely tone deaf. And when you, when you, you know, when you think about it, if they hired somebody to do that, they ought to think about another public relations firm. <laughs> but, it, but it points out just how touchy people are. Oh, yeah, there, there's no touchy humor anymore. I mean, this was on clearly wall, in bad taste. Huh? On the wall, in there was anything, never a sense in anything humor. in politics in America today. Well, I, I I'm just telling you, that's the case. And Jim's exactly well, right. That's it, the environment we're in. Well, and, it's, and, and, it's, this is, and this was in bad taste, and they ought to pull them. But it's just, it's one of those things where you can't try to make light of anything like that because if you do, it's going to come back to bite well, you. I and think the, after what Trump said about the Mexicans coming over being raped. But the message to marketing folks is stay away from politics, right? Yeah, well, there's that. I think somebody was trying to be topical and, and cash in on something that's been in the headlines. And, you know, maybe they were talking about the Berlin Wall or the Whaling Wall. I don't know. It's, it's, I don't think so. so. Yeah, you think so? I don't think so. No, but that's the spin I'm trying yeah. to do if they want to use it. Well, that might have been what the agency was saying after yeah, all, 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 after all of the defecation. Hacienda got a lot of attention. That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat and Delaney, Republican Mike McDaniel, John Schwannis of Indiana Lawmakers, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at wfyi.org slash IWIR or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shello of Wish TV. Join us next time because a lot can happen in an Indiana week. Programming is made possible by Ice Miller. Ice Miller, with a 100-year tradition of learning what is important to clients and strategizing with them toward a common goal. Today, Ice Miller continues its commitment to help clients build, grow, and protect their interests. More at icemiller.com. 